It's time for the Postmortem Report. With your hosts, Ronald McGillray and Michael Schotter. Each month, these sultans of speculative fiction take a break from bending reality to ask one burning question. What cool stuff got buried in the social media graveyard while people were busy yelling at each other? Well, there's only one way to find out. So let's dig into it. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Postmortem Report. I'm your co-host, Michael Schotter. And I'm Ronald McGilvery. Welcome to episode eight. Eight is great. It's certainly, well, we'll see, won't we? <laughs> yeah, I guess we're maybe overselling it a little bit, but that's okay. There you go. Uh, so how have you been, sir? Exceptional. We've been catching up on all the snow that we uh, escaped in the uh, early part of the winter, and now it seems to be snowing every day. Oh, oh, so we nice. got lots of snow. Well, as you can see here, I have a place behind me where you might be able to store some of that snow. Yes, if necessary. quite an expansive apartment. Congratulations yeah. on making the big coin. Well, being such a success, that, <laughs> uh, since you know postmortem reports taken off, uh, now you're uh, you know really yeah, live, expanded. Live in La Vida Loca. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think I'm getting my fair share of the uh, revenue, though. We we can talk about that uh, <laughs> offline. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's the nice thing about a virtual background, right? You can pretty much make it whatever you want to make it. But uh, I thought this would be a fun way to let everybody know that I'm actually going to be changing locations after this episode. Uh, nothing too drastic, but I'm going to be moving into a new office space. So uh, the sound of things from my side of things might change a little bit starting next episode. So this will be your last dose of that vintage postmortem report audio uh before uh, things possibly change a little bit well be exciting times mm -hmm. For me it'll be exactly the same consistency is key the the anchor of the podcast indeed indeed well speaking of the anchors of the podcast uh, I think it's time to kick off our uh, go-to recurring birthday segment. Who doesn't like birthdays? Nobody I want to hang out with. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get it started. So what do you got for us this time? Well, uh, let's take a look. January 8th is Patrick R. McDonough's birthday from uh, Dead Headspace. So mm. happy birthday to uh, Patrick. Uh, Damon Manx has a birthday on uh, January 16th. Uh, he has a new book, uh, Our Cranium, uh, that he uh, co-wrote with uh, Mark Taus. Um, so happy birthday to uh, Damon and all success on your uh, new book. Uh, Neil Hawk, a uh, big Carolina Mudcats fan. His birthday, January 17th. So happy uh, birthday, Neil. Go Mudcats. Go Mudcats. Um, <laughs> Erin uh, Banks, uh, her birthday is uh, January 22nd. Uh, her book uh, about rage. Uh, happy birthday, Erin. Uh, Adam Caesar of uh, Clown in the Cornfield and Friendo Lives. Uh, his birthday is uh, January 27th. So happy birthday to uh, Adam. Uh, J.G. Faraday 
his birthday is January 27th as well. Um, his uh, book, uh, Ragman, uh, which was published by Flame Tree Press, uh, is uh, his newest release. Uh, so happy birthday and all the success on the new release to uh, JG. Wesley Southard. They mostly come out at night collection. Uh, mostly. Is that, yep, his birthday, uh, January 29th. So check out, uh, they mostly come out at night. Um, mostly. There you go. I can't, I can't hear that phrase and not want to <laughs> add the extra mostly to the end. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. Joseph uh, Mullock, his books, Ashes to Ashes and uh, Haunted Whispers are two books to check out to make his birthday extra special. Uh, his birthday is January 30th. And uh, Cameron Trost uh, with Oscar Tremont, investigator of The Strange and Inexplicable. His birthday is January 30th. And I won't be saying that tongue teaser again. So check out his book or our links where you can find uh, find out his book. Um, yeah, I've noticed this that, trend lately where you put all the really difficult to say titles near the end. That's uh, yeah. very daring of you. Yeah, I just started throwing out there. So happy birthday to Cameron and all of the above. Wishing you all great success with your books and hope uh, the year ahead's great. And that wraps up the birthdays for this episode. Episode eight. Did I mention that already? Boom. That's right. Don't forget to like and hit the subscribe button. <laughs> so I'm going to say like, like 20 it. times 20 times an episode uh, great see 8 is great I knew it I knew it all along so uh, you know I think that you could definitely use a little break after uh, getting through all those birthdays and uh, we've had a few different kinds of breaks on the show. You know, we've had a bathroom break, we, you know, various other things. But one thing we have yet to have is a spring break. That's right. Michael and Ronald, go wild! Spring break is coming. What are you going to do about it? You could join a band. Boogie! Take up a new hobby. Play with your new screwdriver. Why, you can clean your belly button, eat olive loaf till you puke. Or you can take a rock and roll road trip as much music as Spring Break 93 broadcast live from Daytona Beach with a live performance by Kim Mitchell. Just look at these shocking scenes from last year's Spring Break. Quit school, quit your job, sell the dog, do whatever you have to, just look at Spring Break 93. Join us in Daytona Beach or watch live on much February 20th and 21st. You know, so one of the things you could do while you're on spring break is catch up on your reading and your heavy drinking, but maybe reading before the heavy drinking. I don't know. You do you. Everyone uh, has their own own fun on the beach, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Just remember uh, to wear sunscreen. Indeed. Uh, but I know you've been doing some reading lately. Uh, what, in fact, you've got quite a few things to talk about this time. Why don't you Why don't you hit us up with your first uh, literary experience for the month? Sure. Well, I've been actually mixing it up, as I have been for the last couple of months, trying to get audiobooks in as well. So it's um, been uh, been getting a lot of books 
a lot of good reads in. Um, my first one is uh, Horror Store. I don't know if uh, you're familiar with uh, that. Is by uh, Grady Hendrix. I so saw it on a. I've seen ahead. a little bit about that book. It's and it, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it has something to do with some kind of crazy like ikea esque furniture store that has some sort of supernatural madness going on in it is that is that yeah, somewhat it's, on point <laughs> yeah it's it's a horror comedy set in um a retail establishment called orsk was spelled o-r-s-k which is like a ikea knockoff and they've been experiencing um i guess best thing like vandalism they're not really mm. thinking supernatural. They're just like it's overnight and they don't understand how like their their beds are being ripped apart and the furnitures are being destroyed, stuff like that. And it's like, who are these vandals coming in and wrecking? So the manager gets a couple of the staff together and say, We're gonna stay over tonight and keep an eye on the place and see if we can find out who's coming in to uh uh, sabotage Rec shop, their, as it were. Uh, their stuff exactly yeah. and um during their nightly exploits they meet a homeless person named carl who actually has been living in there mm. he comes in guess he hides in the bathroom or what have you and uh comes out at night and wanders around sleeps in their bed and whatever but it ends up he hasn't really been doing anything bad mm. um but there is an entity that eventually shows up and it ends up that I don't want to say too much, but the, the Orsk was built on uh, an old prison mm. and it had this really bad warden uh, named worth. And he, uh, he's uh, they're all long dead, but they are not gone. And mm. uh, they use some kind of portal to, get into Orsk overnight and cause mayhem and uh, mayhem is what, uh, what happens. So the warden and his minions um, uh, up against the employees of, of the minimum wage, uh, poor workers of Orsk. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I, I can't really say it, it is really kind of cool. And they have uh, throughout, because as I, I heard, it's the same in the book, but of course, I had the audio book. Is they have commercials for Orsk ah, throughout okay. throughout the story, and as the story goes along, the commercials get more darker and darker. Mm -hmm. So that was a really interesting concept. Anyways, I had a blast listening to it. I had no idea what to expect. I'd heard good things about uh, about Horsepower before. But I, I'd never really got around to uh, to reading it, and uh, just one day I saw an audiobook came available. I thought I'm going to grab it and listen to it, and uh, it was uh, it was fun, yeah. fun, very different. Sounds like it would be. I, I like the uh, the whole premise of the, you know, uh, the place being built somewhere and it not being an Indian burial ground, right? Yeah, Because <laughs> yeah. as soon as you said, oh, the store was built on, and yeah. of course my brain immediately goes, Indian burial ground? Indian yeah. burial ground? No. Okay, great. That's that's great that it's something that's not that. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm already on board. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it, it sounds, uh, sounds like a very cool premise, for sure. Yeah. And because of what happened at the prison, it, it kind of 
that's why I couldn't go too much more into it without spoiling it. But it uh, sure it, yeah. it has there's meaning the prison the, that idea works really well with the story because what happens so mm-hmm. um, yeah so I I would not suggest uh, applying at Orsk. No, you're thinking you're thinking almost any uh, other minimum wage job would be would be better. You're, you're better well, at bet. least at that specific one. Is, yeah, maybe at a different branch, different yeah. location, perhaps yeah. things are yeah, a little less one. Uh, violent. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. Nice. Yeah. Uh, what about you? Do you uh, read anything exciting this uh, month? Well, I actually haven't been doing a lot of reading this month and, and over the past couple of months because I've just been so crazy busy with other projects. Mm-hmm. However, there have been a few books that I've read fairly recently that um, I thought were worth talking about and that we definitely haven't talked about on the show previously. Uh, and actually, when I started thinking about it, it occurred to me that uh, a good another good thing about talking about these books would be that we've never really touched on nonfiction on the show previously. Uh, so I thought it might be cool to throw out a couple of the nonfiction things I've read recently and see if people might be interested in those. So the first one I'll do before I toss it back to you is a book I read uh, about a year or so ago uh, called A View from My Seat, My Baseball Season with the Jumbo Shrimp by Armand Rosamelia. And What's wrong with Armand? Yeah, you know, Armand's a person who we've mentioned on the show a few times before in various contexts, uh, and he's definitely one of the more prolific and varied writers that you're you're going to find out there in terms of all the different things that he's uh, taken a stab at over the years. And so one of the things that's kind of interesting about this is that given that he's kind of known primarily for being an author of horror and other sort of like speculative fiction offshoots. It was kind of interesting to read something of his that was nonfiction. So as you might expect from the title, this book is basically just about him uh, telling stories about baseball in the context of him uh, watching the 2017 season of the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp minor league baseball team as a season ticket holder and kind of framing his sort of coverage or, um, you know, uh, play by play, if you will, of, of how that all unfolded in the context of his sort of lifelong love affair with the sport of baseball. So sort of going all the way back to his childhood and like how baseball was always like a part of his family and stuff like that. And obviously I don't want to talk too much about like the specific stories and whatnot that he gets into, because that's kind of part of the point of the book. Uh, But just to, to let you know that like, it's it's kind of doing a couple different things simultaneously, right? It's telling you the story of, of that, uh, season of that particular minor league baseball team, but also couched in this sort of uh, treatise or like, uh, you know, uh, uh, love letter to uh, baseball as a sport. Uh, so I definitely enjoyed it. It was a really good read. It's definitely one of my favorite things of his that I've read. Uh, so I would definitely recommend it for sure. Um, and I would say the other thing about it is 
that's kind of interesting is that he actually get, managed to get access to a lot of the people involved in the team uh, for reasons that I won't spoil that he talks about in the book. And uh, so as a result, you know, he gets to interview and, and uh, quote, you know, uh, various players and like the announcers who call the games and like you can really get a lot of the behind the scenes of what was going on with a lot of stuff as well, which I thought was some of the most interesting stuff in the book. And it you know, really goes to show how having that access to those people would uh, make, you know, what's being talked about that much more interesting uh, and compelling. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, something a little different, something a little outside the norm. Like, I'm not a huge sports guy as a general rule, but like right. baseball is definitely one of the like handful of sports that I do tend to have some like affection for and like interest in. So that was, I thought a really good example of like a cool baseball book. That's interesting. I mean, living down South, like he does too. I mean, it's perfect area for baseball, like all season long. Mm -hmm. I mean, all year long here, very limited in our baseball (laughs) capability. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So, yeah. Do you guys even have a, a baseball team or any kind of baseball leagues or anything we have up a, there? We have, well, in Canada, we have the, like the Toronto Blue Jays, mm-hmm. which is a big team. But I was always, when I grew up, was I was a Montreal Expos fan. Mm-hmm. But then uh, they ended up closing down. And after that, I mean, I was all caught up in the whole Blue Jays run when they won the World Series a couple times. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, but yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, I, I can watch it, but I was I was never a huge baseball fan. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's funny because for me, like the actual act of the the basic plays of the game is is less interesting than the than the strategy of kind of how you arrange the batting order and the pitching yeah. and and all that sort of thing. Like that, that's the part to me that I find most compelling is just the, like sort of. Uh, the statistical aspect of it. And it's like, what, how can you set all this stuff up in a way that's most likely to produce a good result? Because when you break it down, like baseball is actually a pretty simple game in terms of like the moment to moment plays. And so you really have to get into like the subtleties and the details of, you know, how you can tweak things around that simplicity to produce a result. And I always find that to be like the really interesting part. Like, um, we're, this is kind of a little bit of a tangent, right? But like, I really like the movie Moneyball. If you've okay. ever seen that, where it's yeah. like they're talking about like how to basically build a a baseball team from you know less than stellar prospects. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's interesting. Well, I know even but... growing up, the friends who liked it, they were all like into the stats, you know, mm-hmm. RBIs and you know this and that, and they had like spreadsheets. So I think that really sort of attracts a lot of people, the sort of analytical part of it. Yeah, for sure. Spreadsheet nerds are are totally into that stuff, I I would think. Yeah. Yeah. I like football. Give me the ball. Nice and simple. (laughs) Get down that field. Nice. So yeah. I can I can I can deal with a a good football football game too. I can, can get on board with that. I'd, I'd say I'd, probably my honestly probably my top three sports are probably in in order. Probably hockey's probably my favorite, followed by baseball, and then probably American football. Um, yeah. Not to be confused with 
the other football, which is actually soccer. I don't care what anybody says. Uh, anyway, quite the so tangent. thumbs up for Armand. Oh yeah, yeah, good time. So that, that's a good book. People should definitely, if you have any interest whatsoever in baseball, like uh, I think that's a, a book that most most baseball uh, aficionados would uh, appreciate. Is like each chapter like one game kind of thing? Yeah. So he has um, he does it a few different ways throughout the book, which I actually kind yeah. of appreciate because it doesn't really it doesn't really tend to get samey until near the end where like at a certain point, he's just kind of got to, got to get you through the rest of the season. But what he tries to do, I think pretty effectively is sort of intersperse, you know, his little anecdotes and stories and stuff that he's telling about his personal experiences with the sport versus what's going on in the season. Right. So in a given chapter, he might, tell a little story or whatever, and then tie that in to what's going on in, in the games that were recently played, you know, in the season. And in, in some chapters, he might just sum up like three or four uh, games that are, you know, relevant, you know, if they were say on a road trip or something like that, he wants to cover the whole road trip in one chapter. And then, you know, if the, if the stats stuff starts to get a little heavy, you know, he'll maybe do a little aside and, and, do a, an interview with one of the people from the organization or whatever to kind of mix that up a little bit. So okay. like I said, the, the, the accounts of the actual baseball season are spread out enough um, that at least until like near the end of the book, you don't really see too much of that all at once. And then, you know, like I said, at a certain point, it just kind of, it kind of just needs to wrap up. So, so you get like a lot of that like closer to the end. But I guess you don't want to give it away and tell me if the Jumbo Shrimpers uh, won their uh, season. Oh, that's a spoiler. <laughs> that's a heavy spoiler. I'm not going to do that. That's crazy talk. Crazy talk. Speaking of crazy talk, why don't you <laughs> tell us about your next book? All right. Well, the next one on my list is The Loop by Jeremy Robert Johnson. Uh, it's basically a government experiment gone wrong in a small town in Oregon mm. or Oregon, however you'd like to pronounce it. Tomato, tomato. Uh, yeah. It's a group of high school misfits uh, that would be perfectly comfortable in the breakfast club. Mm. Uh, they uh, just sort of, he does a really good job looking at uh, disenfranchised youth and, you know, how they interact with each other and, and others. And then they're thrown into this, uh, horror landscape you know it sort of starts off with them sort of their day-to-day -day troubles that they have trying to fit in and then uh, one of their uh, fellow students goes uh, violently berserk and uh, uh, soon it's not just the one others start to come through it and uh, sort of a uh, violence and uh, mayhem ensue and these this small group try to well, one trying to survive, but they're also mm -hmm. trying to uncover what exactly is uh, is happening. So they're uh, sort of running against time, trying to survive while they uh, figure what's going on, and and sort of uh, kind of like horror store where they had those commercials. This one has um, the Night Watchman, which is a um, I can't actually remember if I think he's online, or it could be like a 
like an independent radio station, but he he's kind of one of those underground journalists, independent journalists mm-hmm. that try mm-hmm. to uncover truth like UFOs and other kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. uh, he's he's he they interject these um um uh, reports. I wouldn't say the interviews, but like um broadcasts of what he's found so far or what they found mm-hmm. out. And um, so you have the story going on and then it's interjected with this uh, uh, night watchman who throws in as an outsider, what he thinks is happening kind of mm-hmm. there. And then we just follow uh, the band as they try to survive. Um, it's uh, it was a fun, a fun read. I, when I went into it, I thought it was more uh, like a young adult book I'd heard, but I heard it was mm-hmm. good. So I was kind of expecting that. And, um, but actually, uh, so I thought it'd be a bit lighter, but it, uh, it it's, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of gore, a lot of violence. Yeah. Was, I've heard uh, parts of that book are pretty heavy, like it was yeah. pretty intense. Yeah. yeah. So, so it was, it was another surprise. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, the story was uh, cool. If you like sort of the, well, it's kind of like a, like a horror adventure, you know, like uh, Resident Evil or something. It's just you know, there's some government did something bad and they, uh, they, know, they are they're to stuck do. in the middle of it. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, it's just how they survive and try to figure out what's going on. And it's interesting from like doing from. It's always interesting when you like from a uh, teenager's standpoint. Mm-hmm. So. It's yeah. uh, it was a fun uh, a fun read, so I would uh, suggest both the Loop and Horror Store. I had two lucky reads; both were good. And those were both audio for you, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah I forgot to nice. mention that. And both you, you've really conquered this audio book mountain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a tough start for me. I was when I first started, I just could not get my brain to focus on listening without daydreaming. But mm-hmm. I'm getting uh, I'm getting better and more focused on. Uh, on how to do it. Nice. Well, uh, speaking of audio, I, I will pick up the torch here and talk a little bit about the other nonfiction book that I recently read, which was Cured, The Tale of Two Imaginary Boys, which is the memoir of Lal Tolhurst, who is a founding member of the band The Cure. Uh, and I could definitely talk a lot about The Cure, which I'll probably do at some point in a, in a music section down the road. But uh, in the context of this book, one of the things that really attracted me to it is back when I was a big fan of The Cure and listening to them a lot, it was sort of in this pre-internet era, right? Where it was like, you know, how you got a lot of information about bands that you were into and interested in was just like rumors or, you know, something that somebody overheard at a concert or, uh, you know, things that were maybe like parsed out of an interview in a magazine or something like that, right? Like it, it was really difficult to come by like information about things like that. And, uh, you know, one of the big sort of like, mysteries of of the the cure always was like what actually happened with uh Lal Tolhurst you know and his sort of exit from the band because uh fans of of the band may be aware that like you know he he basically got the boot 
uh, for lack of a better term, shortly before the release of their big sort of seminal album, Disintegration. And uh, there was a lot of speculation, like rampant speculation throughout the fan base as to like what was actually going on there. Because obviously, as I said, this is at a time period, you know, the late 80s where that information just wasn't as easy to come by as it is today. And so one of the things that really drew me to this book was kind of wanting to get the story of what happened with all of that from his perspective. Now, I mean, obviously, you know, it's going to be slightly <laughs> skewed and and slightly, yeah. you know, swayed in, in his favor or whatever from, you know, being told from his standpoint. But I have to say, you know, reading the book, it feels very like authentic and it feels very much to me like what I'd imagined that situation probably actually was like. Uh, So for those who are unfamiliar, uh, one of the things that sort of contributed to that situation was that he kind of had a a pretty severe like struggle with alcoholism. And so a lot of the the book is sort of explaining from his perspective, what was going on with that and, and how it was, you know, impacting like basically every aspect of his life, you know, not just what was going on with the band and everything. Um, so it was really cool uh, to get all of that information kind of straight from the horse's mouth, for lack of a better term. And also another thing that I think people who aren't even necessarily huge Cure fans might appreciate about the way the book is structured is that he tells a lot of really fun and interesting sort of inside uh stories about uh the music scene right from the from the 80s you know that he was participating in you know like there's some really right. good anecdotes with people like billy idol and uh you know the members of Susie and the banshees who the cure toured with several times uh you know just you know a lot of name dropping and a lot of like little like funny funny things that like you know the the validity of them may or may not be easy to verify but it, yeah. they certainly come across as being authentic and they certainly come across as being like legit and and genuine and i just feel like the book as a whole just has like a really good feel and vibe to it like it just feels really well put together and really really well written and the themes of it and the sort of things that it touches on definitely stuck with me right like i read that book several years ago now at this point and it's definitely still one that like pops into my head every so often or or like really stuck with me and kind of made an impression on me yeah i think it you know certainly a lot of that is just being a big fan of the band and being interested in their history but i also think it's just a generally like good well-written book okay well not to be uh totally embarrassing myself uh what did he do in the band so he was the drummer okay. uh, for a while and then he also played like keyboards and and stuff and like because at a certain okay. point they started getting into sequencers and drum machines and stuff like that and so there was yeah. less emphasis on the percussion until they right. brought in a different drummer and then that kind of changed their whole percussion style so, um yeah. but at, at a certain point as he was kind of like phasing out as a drummer he would do like a, a lot of the little synthesizer parts and keyboard parts and stuff like that okay did he go on to do anything else with other bands of any uh, note? uh not 
not that I recall. I think I think he did have a, a project or two, but nothing that would have been like on the same level as that, right? Like it was, yeah. you know, he never really uh you know reached that those heights again musically. And uh actually I, I don't even think he talks about that too much. Um, because there's kind of like a a a bit of a time jump you know in the book at a certain point because at a, at a certain point like the stuff that he's going through is just so dark and so like you know <laughs> un unpleasant that yeah. you know I, I, he doesn't really spend a ton of time dwelling on that right kind of the, okay. the focus of the book at a certain point kind of becomes his sort of recovery and and kind of you know, getting himself back together uh and so that's really what what's emphasized um and, and sort of like trying to like make amends and sort of reconcile with the other people from the band and that sort of thing. Um, so uh, it doesn't really focus too much on his career stuff beyond the cure, uh, yeah. just because that's not really like the intent of the book. Right. It's, it's right. more about like his personal like struggles and, and, you know, journey and like that sort of thing. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's another one I would definitely recommend. Uh, like I said, if you're if you're just a music fan in general, I think it's a good read. But if you're a Cure fan in particular, it's a it's a very good read. It's a must read. Yeah, I would say for a Cure fan, it's it's also yeah. almost a must read. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. So speaking of must reads, I know you actually read a physical book uh, this month as well because you've been you've been a busy guy. Uh, yeah, what, actually, what, you, what happened there? Yeah, uh, it was uh, Thanksgiving Day Massacre by uh, Brian G. Barry. Another nice. good read. This one was another one. I wasn't quite sure what to uh, what to expect, um, but uh, it's basically about uh, Travis. He wears a turkey mask, and he likes killing people. Uh, Seems and... pretty straightforward. Yeah, so it's like welcome to Whitehall, where it's where it all takes place. Travis and his uh, his friends arrive, and um, uh, once again, lots of mayhem. Uh, but uh, it's basically it's uh, it's Thanksgiving, and uh, turkey isn't the only thing that's uh, going to get carved up. <laughs> nice. Yeah, they go nice. through. We follow Travis as he uh, carves like a bloody path through uh, the small town of Whitehall. And he's pursued by the town sheriff named Harper. Um, it's, it, it was just, uh, it just, it flew by. It was, uh, I, I got really caught up in it. And it's, um, uh, I mean, to say that it's a, a gore fest would be an understatement. I mean, mm -hmm. this is, definitely not for the uh faint of heart and this is uh so is this like full-on splatterpunk territory would you say uh it's it's pretty yeah it's it's pretty intense there's the deaths are uh are gruesome uh mm -hmm. but he i i thought he did it really really well it's um you know it just the the story flowed really well and it was almost like watching a movie i just like it was like, it was like thing, bang, it. bang, bang. Yeah, it was yeah. kind of going on in the way he interjected, you know, from the, the sheriff's standpoint to the thing, mm -hmm. uh, to the uh, killers. And um, yeah, because I first I remember the first 
it was the first chapter, I guess. Uh, I was kind of reading along and I was like, okay, what's that? And then I thought, well, I won't spoil that either. But I, then I just thought, well, you know, maybe it's going to be, because it was kind of like a, a sexy writing. Oh. <laughs> it got into that. And you I thought, was kind of like, get, you thought you were in for something else. Yeah. Yeah. I was kind of going, oh, I knew that there was a killer and stuff, but then I thought that it was going to be, I said, oh, I guess we're going to have some kind of like, like uh like the 80s you know throw in the 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 sexy uh sex part the, the titillation stuff. but it yeah. was it was well it was well placed once i mean what what happens completely caught me, caught me off guard i was like well that was certainly unexpected and yeah. then it just snowballed from there and it was like i i just couldn't stop reading it so i uh, i'm definitely be checking out uh more of uh Barry's work because it's uh, I liked his writing style as well. It mm-hmm. was uh, it was just a a fun read. So yeah, yeah. Check out uh, Terry. Terry, take check out Travis. He's a swinging guy with a cool turkey mask. Yeah. What's what's the title of the book again? Thanksgiving uh, Day Massacre. Yeah, I like how on the cover of that book it's like Thanksgiving Day feast or something like that, and then it's crossed out. Yeah. <laughs> it says massacre instead, if yeah. I recall correctly. Yeah, that's pretty. Well, that, I guess that I caught my eye. I should have known because the guy is in a turkey mask holding a head. Yeah, I mean that's kind I of. I was thinking. Yeah, it says it all as advertised. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, so. yeah, I know. Um, you know, speaking of of uh, Brian Barry, uh, I've had uh, Snow Shark on my TBR for a while now. So that like hearing that you enjoyed this book will probably uh, lead me to want to shuffle that up on the TBR a little bit because that that's another one of his that I thought uh, was kind of eye catching. Yeah. So yeah, interesting yeah. premise. I think that was going to be one of my next reads as uh, as well. But yeah, nice. Yeah. Well, speaking of, uh, you know, you mentioned how that book kind of gave you the feel of a movie. Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, I think we both watched a movie recently that uh, would fit nicely into the theme of uh, culinary adventure. <laughs> uh, you know, you, you have a lot that. of culinary adventures on Thanksgiving, but we uh, we can talk a little bit about the menu. Uh which uh, we had this nice post here from uh, Guillermo del Toro talking about this movie. Yeah. Uh, you want to set the premise up for the people and you know, give them the kind of like the elevator pitch for what's up with this thing. Yeah. It's um, it's kind of like a, it begins sort of like a fantasy Island, if you will. Mm-hmm. but instead of arriving by plane, they arrive by boat. You go to this boat to this exclusive restaurant that's on a secluded uh, island and uh, you're uh, served dinner by uh, an eccentric chef and apparently very eccentric uh, crew that he uh, has working for him mm-hmm. um and uh, but there's a lot more uh to what meets the eye yeah so uh so one of the things i really liked about this film is the fact that you really aren't quite sure what's going on like right because uh, you know this this definitely falls into like the you know horror 
thriller suspense category. And I think one of the things that it does really well is it doesn't tip its hand completely until you're pretty far into the film. Because you can yeah. you can tell fairly early on that something's going on, but it's very unclear as to exactly what that is or like how extensive it is or what's, you know, what is being presented to you. And uh, I really thought that was like a very enjoyable, very cool aspect of the movie, right? That like you're you're really sitting there the whole time going, what exactly is going on here? Yeah. What is exactly real? What is exactly, you know, perhaps a bit of theater or whatever. And I'd say the only thing that's kind of a bummer about the movie is, for me at least, I kind of feel like it's the sort of thing that once you know what's actually going on, it probably wouldn't like be the sort of thing you'd want to experience like over and over again. Right. It's, it's more of like a one and done sort of thing. Uh, I think. Um, but you know, that being said, I think as long as you can manage to avoid any sort of spoilers or any sort of like, you know, excessive information about the film, uh, yeah. it would be a pretty enjoyable experience to, to check it out. Yeah. Um, well, I, th- I also, thought all the acting was great. Yeah. Yeah, some really good acting, some really good scenes, um, really, really cool uh, sets and like uh, lighting yeah. and you know, like, uh, the way stuff is presented is, is and shot is very cool and, and like uh, noteworthy and sort of stands out. Um, the other thing I would say about it uh, that I really liked is that uh, I think it does a good job of like doing some pretty adept social commentary uh and also like framing that in the context of like some good like dark black comedy um because like there's basically uh you know i think i think one of the big overarching themes of the of the film is this whole idea of like what happens when you have people who are basically accustomed to being able to buy their way in and out of situations with money being placed into a situation where money and influence don't actually matter. And I think like that, the whole examination of all of that is actually really interesting. And another thing that I think this film does pretty well, but in a a somewhat more subtle way is sort of a commentary on the service industry and like the idea of like, people who are in positions or jobs where like their whole job is about like pleasing other people or helping other people and like how that can sort of play out in like weird and interesting ways. Um, And again, without like going into spoiler territory, I think like the way that all that stuff plays out uh, is very, very, uh, adept right like there's it definitely was one of those things that stuck with me and made me think about it a lot after i finished watching it so i think like uh the reason i wanted to bring all that up is because i think this movie perhaps has the ability to appeal to people beyond the horror genre because of some of that adept social commentary that it does it's almost like a satire yeah yeah for sure it was it was uh uh like for i don't know i i i i mean other than the fact that, I mean, you some of it you really have to uh, disband your belief system. Like I'm like, 
really? But you get caught up into the acting, but I was like, you know, thinking about it, I was like, well, that's would never happen. That's, but mm -hmm. well, and, and I, and I think happen, that's, that's part of the interesting thing about it. Right. Is that there's a part of you that thinks, oh, that would never happen. But then there's a part of you that maybe knows some people who are like the people in this scenario and thinks, hmm, maybe that would actually happen. Well, if you like film, you'll like this because the acting was good. Cinematography was good. The flow of it was, was, uh, was good. It was just, I mean, I found I was just captivated by the whole mm -hmm. thing. I was just like, you know, fines was really good, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. and, uh, uh, I can't think of her name now. Our main, uh, yeah, the uh, the female protagonist. Yeah, yeah. I remember her character's name was Margot, but I can't remember the the yeah. actress's name at the moment. Yeah. But uh, she was she was really good as well. I yeah, it was. I thought it was great. It was almost like a play. Mm -hmm. you no, know, that's what it reminded me. I just thought of it as like it was like watching a play, a really well mm -hmm. done play. Yeah. For sure, it it definitely was um, one of those things where it's like hard to look away, right? Like you yeah. you're uh, you're just engrossed in what's going on because, like I said before, you're you're just trying to figure out like what's happening, right? Yeah. And, and and kind of piece that together. Um, but another thing that this this particular film reminded me of immediately as soon as I saw the trailer for it last year um, was a short film that I had seen. A while ago called next floor uh have you had a chance to see that no no yeah. so uh basically the the premise of it is it's a it's only about a 10 minute short it was actually done by um oh i'm gonna i know i'm gonna butcher this fellow's name it's daniel uh villanueva i believe uh canadian filmmaker and uh it made the the rounds at the like film festivals and stuff back in 2008 i believe uh, it was you know to, pr to pretty wide acclaim and it's one of those films that i think has inspired a lot of other things and i and i wouldn't be surprised at all to find that perhaps the menu and some other things like the platform may have been inspired by this film uh, because basically the the premise of it is that there's you know this this cadre of wealthy people sitting around a table at a banquet eating and as they eat, they uh, continue to like, you know, uh, put strain on the floor of the, the place where they're sitting to the point where them and the table all just kind of go crashing through to the next floor. And then they have all these wait staff and servers and stuff that are kind of running down the stairs to get to the next floor to continue feeding them as they you know continue the cycle and, and just keep repeating it and i think it's a really great like commentary on like gluttony and like the the insatiable desire of people to like accumulate wealth and all that sort of thing uh again really really quick watch right it's something you can experience yeah. in like 10 minutes and we'll have the link to the to the youtube video in the show notes um but i just like every time i see a lot of these modern films that kind of tread similar ground i always think and i kind of wonder like whether or not they may have been inspired a little bit by that short because it was you know kind of a big deal at the time when it did hit yeah 
Well, could have. Well, he he's pretty influential. I think it's it's Denis Villeneuve. Yeah. See, there I you go. Maybe, but because I, I meant to watch after you'd mentioned it to me, and then all sorts of other stuff got in the way, and I completely forgot about it. And considering yeah. I went through our list of stuff to just to remind myself what we're going to be going, I was like, ah, uh, I still yeah, I even missed it then. It's yeah. on YouTube, correct? Yeah, yeah, the, the link to it will be in the show notes. Like I said, it's only about 10 minutes long. So, yeah. uh, you know, and, and really, like, you know, what I just explained to you basically is the film, right? But it's all right. in the execution, right? It's all yeah. in, in how it's shot and, like, the, the the way it's acted and the way it's, you know, presented, I think, is what's really kind of captivating and interesting about it yeah. um, and <laughs> potentially influential about it, I would say. Um but yeah, good times. Always. So speaking of potentially influential things, I know it's your turn to talk about some music. What do you have Ooh. for us this month? Well, sort of a playoff of what we talked about in the previous episode. Uh, mm-hmm. One of my guilty pleasure songs was Lord of the Rings uh, from the album Pieces of Eight, which came out in 1978. Yeah. I was like 14 years old. Mm-hmm. Back in and, the back in the. Uh, back in the, yeah. What were you going to say? Dark Ages? <laughs> no, back in the back in the. You can <laughs> still say that, the, right? Uh, I've never uh, even heard of that term. Yeah. But. Yeah, pieces of eight. I mean, other than like the Who, the Sticks is like probably my next favorite band. I mean, they're mm-hmm. they're I wouldn't say they're they're night and day, but they're 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 much different than each other. Um, For sure. Uh, there's lots of great albums uh, by Sticks. They're they're the the chorus how they sing together mm-hmm. uh, really makes the band. Um, so and there's you know earlier albums that sort of got me interested in it first, but um, Pieces of Eight, I mean with uh, Renegade, well Renegade Blue Collar Man, mm-hmm. enough said, giant hits. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, there's Sing for the Day, Lord of the Rings, which is my personal kind of jam song, yeah, yeah, and the song itself. Pieces of Eight, which is a great song on its own. Um, it was just a huge blockbuster for them. You know, they just uh, really exploded with mm-hmm. uh, with that album. And so it had, uh, you know, it was a major part. I mean, I was just a young teenager, just sort of starting my teens. And uh, and this album came on. It was all the, the rage uh, back then. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I mean with sticks they had uh, uh well dennis de young who was their keyboard player and their um uh one of their main singers uh mm-hmm. he was replaced uh by uh, lawrence gowan uh now i really like lawrence gowan well back when i was watching him i was independent he was just gowan kind of thing mm-hmm. and i was a big fan of him and he does a great job with the uh the new sort of sticks uh band but you know it was like i guess our last uh, discussion if about with van halen you know it's just yeah yeah you get I attached grew up, 
with yeah. Dennis DeYoung. And as much yeah, as I, I, def- like I definitely feel attached to him for sure. Yeah. 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 But Dennis DeYoung, I mean, his voice is just, it was, it was amazing. I mean, I, uh, uh, I mean, he was, they say he's the godfather of the power ballad. Yeah, because wasn't song Lady, Lady kind of one of the yeah. first ones of those? Yeah. I think it was like the first sort of power ballad that was ever done. And um uh yeah, that's it's uh it's kind of neat because they have you know the course and it's well I I wish I could have said I was at that I went to a, the pieces of eight concert, but I did not mm-hmm. make it then. I was probably too young. It's my yeah. the first time I saw sticks was a uh cornerstone. Mm-hmm. I would have been like, I guess probably around 16, 15, 16 at that time. And um, I remember it was my very first concert. And uh, I actually, I remember who I went with. I went with a buddy named Jim Goth. And uh, nice. it was his first concert too. And when I left, I literally thought my ears were bleeding. <laughs> it was like, it was so high pitched, so loud and my like my virgin ears had never been to a concert, and it was just it was loud and it was shrill, and I, my ears rang. I think literally for a day. Yeah, yeah, it was. Nice. Uh, it's but I, I, it was such a memorable concert, and uh, I mean, I I love actually a lot of people after Pieces of Eight didn't really like Cornerstone, but I really liked Cornerstone, so mm-hmm. I thought it was a great. Uh, great album but yeah you a sticks fan at all yeah yeah i I definitely uh am into them um i would say for me probably like my two big sticks albums that i really got into were um uh grand illusion and uh paradise hotel like those are the 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 two that really like clicked for me but pieces of eight's definitely like right up there like that would that would definitely be in my top three for sure Uh, yeah well paradise but, guy they had the best of times uh rock in the paradise was a really good song as well mm-hmm. uh, um, too much time on my hands yeah 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 but admit you're really a kilroy was here fan right used to walk around your vast apartment back there doing your mr Roboto. yeah yeah you know uh it's it's funny right because uh it was a famous uh, interview with uh, Tommy Shaw talking about like why he left the band. He's like, I just couldn't write songs about robots anymore. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I, I'm a Mr. Roboto fan. I, uh, I obligato that. <laughs> I don't think there's any song that I didn't like by Sticks. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. just I, I, I think I just liked every song. I mean, I remember when. First time I heard Equinox uh, with Lorelei and Light Up, I was like, wow. Mm-hmm. And then I jumped on board then. So I remember my a buddy had it. I remember I saw the the album with that sort of the melting glass or uh, ice that's on fire. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a cool cover. And I was looking at that and I was, who's this? Mm-hmm. So, nice. And of course, back then, you know, if you had a friend who had older brothers, you know, they always had the cool albums because their brothers knew more than we did, right? So, sure. so yeah. it was like if you, it's what you had to do is get a, a friend with older brothers to learn what the good bands were and stuff. So, yeah. Oh yeah, the hookup. Yeah, but uh, yeah, pieces of eight was uh, 
a big, uh, big album, big album yeah. for me. Nice. Yeah, that's a good one for sure. Definitely, uh, definitely a fun one. As soon as you mentioned it, as soon as I saw that that was the one you were going to talk about, I'm like, oh, that's perfect. Because to me, like like I said, being being more familiar and, and having the other ones kind of be the ones that were kind of closer to my heart, um, the that one is one that I would have, you know, uh, maybe can maybe overlooked in in thinking about them, but definitely shouldn't be overlooked because it is really great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wish they'd come back because I see their, uh, I follow them on social media and they're like, oh, the new tour. And it's like, not even one Canadian yeah, spot. Just not know? even having it. Yeah. yeah. I'd like to, like, and especially considering Gowan's Canadian, mm. you think you have some, like, we should go to Canada because he was yeah. here actually during the Christmas break doing his solo stuff. Oh. He was playing in Ottawa, doing his his own uh, songs, and I was like, "Oh, why? Uh... Why didn't you bring the fellas?" Yeah, so maybe maybe one of them had a problem at the border years ago that he actually can't get across because it uh, seems odd that you wouldn't. I mean, Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver are giant mm-hmm. cities for concerts. Yeah, for uh, concerts, lots of money sure. to be made. Yeah, yeah. I can't think uh, of too many North American tours that don't hit those cities. Yeah. yeah. Well, they're as big or bigger than anything you're going to find in New York or in New York in the North America, other than like mm-hmm. New York City, kind of LA. But I mean, they're mm-hmm. big, massive cities. So I was surprises me when uh, they don't go. So I was just, there's got to be something. Mm-hmm. Maybe they hate the snow. <laughs> yeah. 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 But good yeah, times. Though. Uh, yeah. My uh, my music pick. Everyone should go out and listen to uh, Sticks, Pieces of Eight, or any of the other albums. You can listen to Equinox, Crystal Ball, uh, Grand Illusion, Cornerstone, Paradise Theater, Kilroy was here. Just uh, hours and hours of good music. Nice. The possibilities yeah. are almost limitless. Yeah, yeah, and uh, they they've never got into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, either. Really, I've heard yeah, I've all heard all sorts of stories. I think back when they were really big, their uh, management side tried to say, "Well, have more mystique, you know don't don't talk to media, don't talk to uh, the the rock reporters." just snub them you're you're too good and i think it's it blew up in their face mm-hmm. because eventually you know with media and everything took off and it was like well we don't actually want to talk to anyone from sticks mm-hmm. you know you guys didn't want to talk to us you were too good mm-hmm. and uh the whole thing yeah i wasn't i wasn't Google aware it. of that i just i just sort of assumed that they were in there because you'd why think wouldn't they be yeah yeah so and i guess it's the media that vote who's mm-hmm. going to get in and I guess it's like a punishment for them because of the way they treated yeah. media over the year that that I guess their management's I guess yeah. back then in the 60s, 70s, it was probably cool. Let's, let's be really aloof. We don't need media. We're just going to, you know, mm-hmm. have the mystique about us. And uh, mm. it didn't work. Interesting. Yeah. But I mean, their fan base is rabid anyway. So no one really gives a... Yeah. crap if they get in the rock i think they should be in there and it's shame that they don't that it just shows how petty 
like that that, that whole thing is you mm-hmm. know yeah like the war just like they just do whatever because i saw a dennis de young at in toronto at uh, the cn which is their big exhibition that they have in the summer mm-hmm. and um they uh, he was playing it was like dennis de young sing songs of sticks mm-hmm. and i was like really so we were in Toronto at the same time. I think we were going to go see a Toronto FC soccer game. And I thought, well, let's, let's check it out. And I, I remember it was like raining and it was like a miserable night. And my wife was kind of like, are we really going to stick around for this? And then it kind of tapered off and it started. And actually she was blown away too. So it was another concert that I brought her to. And she was, he was a great showman, That's did nice. a great job. And uh, and it was and to see him, it was a much smaller venue where where mm-hmm. it was set up, and it was so cool. Yeah, he uh, still has his pipes, that's for sure. Yeah, that's good to know. But yeah, sticks. It's uh, you start looking at the years seventy eight. You know, where did the time go? <laughs> I guess you don't actually have too much time on your hands. No, yeah. time's ticking. Tick, 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 ticking. So nice. Yeah. Uh, well, speaking of almost limitless possibilities, that may bring us to talk about something a little unusual in the world of games that uh, you had brought up as something that you wanted to touch on. What do you got for us? Yes. Well, I, I'm going back to the basics, actually, on this one. I saw a post by uh, D.T. Neal. Um, it was kind of funny. He uh, he was playing uh, chess and that uh, he'd had a, a bad string of games where he hadn't been very lucky. And mm-hmm. I started thinking, I should get back more into it. Because I used to play chess all the time on the board. But now you can play them. There's, you don't have to pay for them. There's really nice free video ones and they have cool looking boards and there's different kind of uh, uh, play pieces. I mean, you can have them as like your normal chests or you can, they have more elaborate. You could do like Harry Potter uh, people or Lord of the Rings or what have you. And Mm -hmm. uh, I started playing it and I I, I really did feel this post after that because I was, I started off playing while well, I'm going to be middle of the road. I'm not going to go crazy, play the best uh, artificial uh, AI, but I'll go middle of the road. And then mm-hmm. I tried it in the, the middle of the road. They they beat me easily. Just stopped. So me. I ended up going all the way down to like the easiest setting to see what would happen. And although I did all right, I still got beaten maybe a quarter of the time by the, mm-hmm. the easiest setting. Yeah. So... But it is, it's, it's, uh, I mean, it's, I wouldn't say it's a simple game. It's simplistic in its, you know, that the, the, the graphics and stuff, but mm-hmm. you know, it, uh, it really kind of, uh, gets your gray matter working, having to think of like moves that could potentially happen two or three moves ahead and to strategize and stuff. And, uh, although you're not shooting guns and stuff, it's yeah. almost like Gettysburg, you know, you have to, the strategy of where you're going to move your person, what's that next <clears throat> move by the, your opponent going to do. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, and there's not lots of explosions. So if you're just sitting there on a bus or whatever, you can play it and it's nice and quiet. And, uh, yeah, 
try to better yourself. Although I will admit, like one of my personal favorite versions of computer chess was always uh, battle chess from back in the day where they actually would animate the pieces and have them like stab each other and stuff like that. Yeah. That was, uh, that was always a good time. That was a good way to get kids into chess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When the rook eats the piece that it takes like that kind of, that kind of increases the uh, attention span. Yeah. It's kind of like uh, the board game that was in star Wars where you see mm-hmm. the, uh, the holograms kind of go yeah. club yeah. the, I, I always felt like Battle Chess must have been inspired by that scene from uh, Star Wars, for sure. Yeah. It seemed like that was a pretty easy uh, correlation to make. I never played one. I've always wanted to get like a really nice chess set, you know, like mm-hmm. a really nice wood and mm-hmm. get whatever. But I mean, I have a nice board, but it's it's not fancy because a really fancy one's really yeah. excessively expensive. And I was thinking, well. It's funny because some of those really elaborate sets, I actually find it difficult to distinguish the pieces from one another because they're so yeah. like detailed and intricate. Like I, I get used to like just seeing the basic shapes, right? And, yeah. And, and and almost at a certain point, the the more elaborate one, the more elaborate ones get almost distracting because you're so busy looking at the details of the pieces, you're not thinking about your actual <laughs> moves. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's a. Uh, it's funny the 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 broad like range of of stuff that's available there. Like you could you go real hard in the paint if you wanted to get a a really swanky chess set for sure. Yeah, I don't even think they're like meant for playing. Some of them, some are just literally works of art. Yeah, yeah, you know, for it's sure. Just uh, they're so nice and ornate. It's uh, you know you you have that to show. If you're a big chess fan, you buy that. Especially if you just have like display. a side. Yeah. friend yeah I just go this is my fabulous all made of marble and gold or whatever yeah. set up and some famous just... gambit in like the seventh you know move or something like that to show off your your uh knowledge or whatever and just yeah. have it sit there indefinitely <laughs> exactly but yeah with it, the advent of it coming on the computer though it's cool i mean you can play on your ipad laptop anywhere it's just you know you're looking to kill a little bit of time it's a fun game people i don't think especially young i don't know how much exposure they actually get to chess but they should check it out well it's funny because you like you you said you used to be into chess back in the day did that have anything to do with perhaps being in a chess club in your school days because i know i was but i i don't know how like common or popular that sort of thing was i don't even know if we we had uh, had one yeah i'm sure we did but i was not part of uh, that i mean i remember we had like a av club Mm -hmm. so i'm sure there was a chess club so it was like a math club and stuff but uh yeah yeah, i did did it for like a year or two back in junior high and and got pretty pretty into it but then didn't really didn't really carry on with it after that yeah well i had a friend that liked playing it and so i played it with him a lot so Mm -hmm. it was uh it was kind of uh that's how i learned to play and uh we just when you have a buddy that likes playing it yeah it that makes helps. it easier yeah i think it probably got because the the girl that's in the menu she was in that new movie or the series uh queen's gambit i think it's called don't mm. quote me on that i'm pretty sure and it's all about chess mm-hmm. and she's like a protege and she's like goes from nowhere but her brain works a certain way where she can see moves 
Mm-hmm. So she starts moving up the ranks, and all of them are like, "You're not, you're nobody. You, you're not going to go." But she just beats one person after another and moves yeah, up nice. the chess ranks. And nice. uh, I, I think it it got a lot of new people into chess. Mm-hmm. So I know there was uh, kind of a uh, a little craze there for a while. I don't know if it lasted, mm-hmm. but it probably got a lot of uh, younger girls into it as well because of the character being yeah, uh, female. Something they could relate to. Yeah. But it was yeah. a really good series. Have you seen that one? No, no, I, I have not. No. I've heard of it, but had not seen, seen yeah, even an episode. Clever. Yeah, she's yeah. a she's actually a very good uh, good actress. But I digress. But yeah, chess, fun game. Anyone can play it. Uh, it seems intimidating at first, you know, with the sort of the rules and stuff. But mm-hmm. uh, it's uh, it's a great uh, a great game. Keep your gray matter uh, circulating. Excellent. Well, speaking of chess. Uh, that made me immediately think of one of my favorite uh, video game experiences, which is the Hitman series, uh, which I always considered to be sort of like chess in the form of assassination. <laughs> I was um, wondering how you were going to like spin this one. Yeah, well, because the, the thing with those <laughs> games, right, and the, the thing that kind of makes them so iconic and... and uh, sort of beloved, I would say, by a lot of players is not so much that they're about, you know, assassinations, uh, but the fact that like they set up these really intricate environments and scenarios that allow you to complete your task, which of course is assassinating people, but let's not dwell on that uh, in a variety of ways. And, you know, you can make use of things in the environment, you can uh, set scenarios up to have things play out in such a way where you know your your target goes down and it looks like an a, an accident or a chance you know uh, uh, occurrence um, or you can go in you know guns blazing but even in that case you still have to sort of plan and deal with you know whatever happens as a result of that and it always struck me you know especially playing the more modern games in that series where they've really dialed things in and like the technology has really caught up with the premise right um that you know you they have such amazing like mind-boggling levels of detail and intricacy in those games now to the point where it really is a very cerebral experience you know playing those games because you know, there's so much information to take in and process and think about like how you can go about, you know, achieving your objective and all the, the different ways that that can occur and like having to kind of think on your feet and deal with like random things that might spontaneously happen while you're in the midst of executing your plan and all that sort of thing. And so I think that's another good example of a game that kind of stimulates the gray matter in a lot of ways uh, uh, beyond its sort of like visceral you know, uh, more like carnal pleasures. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can see your point now. Cause it's, I guess it's just the ways where you have to, you decide how you're, you're move. Are you going to move your pawn, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, do it like silently, or are you going to like get your queen and just go blasting into, uh, the yeah. room, blasting so. into the backfield. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, sometimes you have to, you have to back off and, you know, rethink, you know, let things cool down, you know, set up your defenses or whatever, let the enemy come to you, you know, yeah. or, or, you you know, do you go hunting or are you going to 
lie in wait and set up some sort of ambush or, or trap or you know what have you I, I think there are a lot of like a, probably probably more parallels there than than one might imagine yeah uh, but of course the the big difference with with something like hitman is it's all happening in real time right so you're you're literally controlling a character and moving around the environment and doing everything in real time as opposed to you know taking a turn and you know, having the, yeah. you know an infinite amount of time to consider your next move, um, so that that would definitely be a major distinction there. But yeah, I would definitely highly recommend those games, especially the the three newest ones. You know, that started in 2016 um, and, yeah. and just finished up in this past year. That that's a really great uh, series of games that's worth checking out for sure. I was going to say, how tough is AI? It, it uh, varies, you know, you can, you can, there's a plethora of settings you can adjust oh, okay. to like increase or decrease the difficulty of things. Um, but I would say the default settings are pretty forgiving. Like if you just fire the thing up and start playing, I think most people would probably be able to acclimate to the level of difficulty that they present by default pretty, pretty easily. And I think if I recall correctly, in the newer games, they actually give you like a difficulty setting right at the beginning, right? They're like, do you want a more casual experience? Do you want something more challenging? You know, I think they yeah. give you like three or four options to pick from. And then of course you can change that at any point, uh, yeah. but they give you sort of like presets, you know, that, that, that lets you uh, very easily bump the difficulty way up or down as needed. Okay. Um, yeah, I, was, I was thinking about that because I remember when uh, we were discussing um, Alien isolation mm -hmm. and when i started i was like yeah i want the full scary i'm like i want the high hardest part and i was like i don't even think i made it five minutes in and that thing was like just <laughs> killing me left Ripping right center so i had to yeah so i had to eat my uh yeah whatever it is that the uh, eat eat crow <laughs> and uh had to go down a couple settings but, yeah uh well, it's, I think it's unless you're like a super hardcore gamer, I think you know, you're, if you're playing Hitman, it to you should always start with kind of medium to either so you can sort of enjoy the experience and the storyline and everything, and then mm -hmm. when you're doing replay, see if you can actually pull it because if you're just you start unless you're like just an incredible player, you start at the hardest part. It's just it's an easy way for you like to put the game down and up, pick it back up after you get frustrated a little bit. It's like, yeah. Bah. What? But. And I also think that a lot of the, um, the joy in those games is playing through them multiple times because, yeah. you know, there, like I say, there are so many scenarios and there's so many different ways that everything can unfold that even yeah. if you play through the entire game on easy, if you go and you bump the difficulty up and play through the entire game again on hard, you could do things in a completely different way. But yeah. the advantage that you gain from playing it on easy is that you're more familiar with the mechanics and the gadgets and how everything works. And yeah. therefore you're more able to actually deal with that harder difficulty, right? Because you've, you've been through enough you know, in your first playthrough that you're you're comfortable and confident with how everything works. Cause that's that's what'll really get you into trouble in that game is like when you're you have the idea in your head of what you want to do, but you don't have like the dexterity developed to actually execute on that. And you just end yeah. up doing something really dumb. <laughs> is there fair saves points? How do you what's the save mechanism? 
Yeah, I believe there are auto saves, but then I, oh, I believe God. you can also manually save pretty much anywhere because it's, it's oh. basically like a running simulation. So at any point, you can basically hit pause and save, and it'll literally like save the exact state of the simulation at oh, that okay. moment, and then you can just pick up from that from that point. And, it's and not then, like he has to go yeah. to like a phone, pick up the phone. Like you have to find a phone booth and get on the phone. No, and it... no, nothing like that. Yeah, it's, it like it, that, it's no. a save on demand kind of kind oh, of situation. Okay. And and that definitely works to its advantage because again, with multiple save slots, you know, if you wanted to save at a particular point and then try a bunch of different things and see what happens, you know, you yeah. have that opportunity too. So that's like another way to kind of experience it if you don't want to, you know, wait for a replay to try something different. Um, but yeah those games are those games are great like just sitting here and thinking about them and talking about them like they're definitely some of my favorite things that i've played in recent years like just in terms of overall quality and polish and just like being like really satisfying engrossing gameplay experiences i think there's like a lot of good to say about about that series probably why they made it into movies yeah, yeah, some of those movies are pretty, pretty fun popular. too. Like yeah. the, I know the one with um, Timothy Oliphant, who was mm -hmm. uh, from uh, Deadwood, where he plays Agent Forty Seven. That one was pretty good. Yeah. I remember that, enjoying that one. But good times. Yes. You have a uh, a TV series. That, yes. Uh, oh, you're going to do the transition. Okay, I dig it. Yeah. Well, because oh, wow. I didn't actually that. really have anything TV-wise this one, so you're soloing it. Uh... Yeah, I'm, I'm flying solo here on the TV yeah. front. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, 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 we don't need to talk about this for too long, because uh, unfortunately, this is another one of those uh, uh, victims of the Netflix early cancellation syndrome, as I like to call it. Uh, but I, I do really love it, and I do think it's it's worth talking about, which is a series uh, called Mindhunter, which is actually based on a book that was written. It's basically like a memoir of uh, this uh, FBI agent named John Douglas, who is basically credited for establishing the whole concept of criminal profiling in the FBI. And so the the premise of the the show is that it follows uh, sort of in a fictionalized manner the whole idea of you know going and interviewing serial killers who have already been incarcerated to try to develop a profile of their thought patterns and behavior in the hopes of using that information to stop or or capture other serial killers uh before they uh you know finish their mayhem um and I, I really loved that show. I think it was a real shame that it got canceled uh, because the the first two seasons, I thought in their own way, were, were really, really well done and actually kind of approached things in, in a very different manner. So like the first season, they're basically just setting up the whole premise of this like special group working within the FBI. So it's sort of like an X-Files situation, right? Where they're like stuck in a basement trying to prove that like these theories they have are valid and... Yeah. Uh, you know, just just trying to to set up the whole idea and kind of get the ball rolling with it. And that that has kind of a nice procedural drama feel to it, where it's like every episode they're kind of interviewing a different uh, 
different subject and like trying to get information to build these profiles and then trying to use that to work on active cases and that sort of thing. But then after that all gets established in the first season, they basically spend the entire second season focusing on the Atlanta child murders and all of the stuff that was associated with that and how like criminal profiling played a role in, in all of that and how it played out in reality. And I thought all that stuff was like really exceptionally well done and like really like engrossing, uh, interesting series. And then of course, immediately after <laughs> the show got canceled, uh, but uh, it's it, like what's there in those first two seasons, I think is really great and really worth experiencing for sure. Do you have any like well-known actors in it or? Uh, so I believe uh, the, the lady who plays the, uh, the doctor, the PhD, who's sort of like the stand in for the person who's coming in and trying to establish the, the unit and like the, yeah. the trying to pitch the whole idea of the, the pr- premise of profiling to the FBI higher ups is I believe Olivia Torv from uh, Fringe fame. If you remember that show. Vaguely. Yeah. Uh, that's another really great show, but uh, <laughs> we can talk about that some other time, maybe. Um, but uh, she's probably, I think, the biggest, most well-known name in that show. But I definitely recognized uh, the, like the two fellows who play the uh, the FBI agents are, are pretty recognizable, especially like the the one fellow who plays like the older, more like grizzled season agent. I think he's veteran. a pretty veteran like character actor that I yeah. think I recognize from a few different things. Um but yeah, they're they're really good. Like their chemistry is really good. You know, like when they go out into the field and are like doing all their interviews and stuff, and like they kind of have this whole like push pull dynamic going on with between the two agents, where it's like they they like get along, but they're not like really on the same page all the time with everything because they've kind of got their own ideas and like methodologies about how to approach stuff. So that kind of makes for some interesting conflicts and uh, yeah. resolutions uh with that but yeah the acting is really good the uh the scripts are really good the the you know the way it's shot again you know like the, another another thing i'd say is a consistency with a lot of things we've been talking about lately uh is you know, everything's just really well put together and like really like nicely polished and like well executed and it's just like a really satisfying watch yeah did they ever say why they canceled it or just one of those odd Netflix things. I, I think it was probably a ratings thing because I think it was one of those shows that didn't really blow up initially, and I think it really only took off and, and got really, you know, widely like acclaimed and popularized after they had pulled the plug on it. Because I think like a lot of people kind of came to that show late. Yeah. Um, but it is interesting that they didn't anticipate how well received the show would have been because the book you know is, is very popular and again going back to like yeah. the nonfiction, you know theme of the episode here you know that mindhunter book is actually quite you know popular in the, in the nonfiction realm it is definitely something right. that like a lot of people seem to have a, a great deal of affection for so i don't I'm not i'm not sure why they didn't think like sticking with that would be uh you know something that would pay off long term but yeah it's hard to say a lot of it too, I think, with shows like that, it's a, they're a good show. But if they they go up against or they're at a time when there's something big, like if there's like, oh yeah, we're doing, 
well, Game of Thrones is playing. So everyone's invested in Game of Thrones or everyone's mm-hmm. invested in the, the Last of Us. So they'll get to, you know, Mindhunter, mm-hmm. but it, it's already canceled. So then it'll blow up later on after it's been canceled. But mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's just, if you're unfortunate that, uh, oh, we have a no show, it's really great. What do you mean we're going up against the Sopranos? Like, yeah. Oh, good luck finding viewers because everyone's already invested in that. Yeah. So yeah. I guess it depends when it came out, but yeah. Well, and I, and I mean the the thing with um with Netflix too is like a lot of times I feel like they send shows out to die <laughs> sometimes, yeah. like where they just they just throw it out there and see if it sticks and like you know not not really push them or market them the way that you know they they maybe could uh, given the the purse strings that they have um but yeah i don't know it's it's hard to say what went on with that one all all i know is you know that the show is definitely definitely great and definitely like worth a watch uh even if you uh only get to experience those first two seasons because like like i said the first season it's like a it's like a feature of the of the week kind of format so like each episode kind of stands on its own and then that whole second season has a, a pretty complete story arc that it tells. And even though it really leaves you wanting more, like, you know, it's, it's not like it's, it's like you're going to be disappointed in the, yeah. in the show or anything like that. I mean, it's just, it is what it is. Um, It's just one of those things where you very easily could have seen it going on, you know, for at least another season or two, like there was, there was plenty of stuff they had left to explore there. Um, yeah. But Say la vie. It's still on though, Netflix right now. They didn't pull it. No, no, it's it's still there. Yeah, I I just checked um, when we were doing the planning for the for the show, so it should still be. uh, I've I've noticed that about them is that even when they do pull a plug on shows, they never seem to take them offline. Like it always seems like they they tend to to linger there in the system. So if you go looking for it, I'm sure you'll be able to find it. Well, I guess if they paid for it, they yeah, it's, well it's free. It up. It's free money for them, right? If they can just keep drawing any subscribers, they can draw in with yeah. that. You know, it doesn't doesn't really hurt them to have it there sitting on the server. Yeah, because I, I was reading an article they were talking about. I guess some of these shows that die, they just it's purely like for tax reasons. Mm. You know, even if they're doing okay but not great, they get they're on in the board looking at. I guess where what can we cut? to get like a tax you know break because yeah. this other show is doing really well so they just cut anyone that's just maybe mediocre doing all right but just not right not killing whatever. it or whatever yeah yeah it's yeah business, it's, it's, it's so hard to say like i always like i'm like always reluctant to speculate too much about stuff like that because it's like who knows what's really yeah. going on in, in the netflix boardroom but uh yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a shame, and I mean we've talked about it so many times on the show at this point. Just the whole idea of like shows, you know, that don't really get to uh, mature, you know, run their course. Yeah, yeah. Or, or yeah, even uh, just leave stuff hanging, you know, in, in any sort of way. And um, you know, but but I think as we've mentioned before, you know, it doesn't take away from the fact that what is there is is cool right you know that's another reason why i like to bring stuff like that up because i think you know once a show gets canceled it has a tendency to completely fall off the radar for people and so it would be a shame 
for people to miss out on experiencing what is there of that show because it is really good. Uh, so that's that's the main reason I think why I wanted to talk about it. Well, that's a show to check out. Mind mm-hmm. Hunter. Nice. <laughs> well, speaking of shows to check out, uh, that'll be the next episode of this show because we've come to the end of this episode. Episode eight. About that. Episode yep. eight. Pieces of eight, one Piece, might say. Hey, didn't even put that together. Yeah. Now I'm embarrassed. Yep. That's what I'm here for. I'm here for you, buddy. Yeah. 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 So are we gonna uh bow out uh doing a duet of uh one of Sticks of Songs? Maybe we could do Lord of the Rings. What song you you're comfortable singing? <laughs> I Hard pass? Maybe I'm going to leave. <laughs> yeah. I thought you were going to say, uh, I- I'm losing my connection. Losing my connection. The screen's going to go black. Yeah. Anything could happen. Yeah. You'd have to have a lot of guts to try to pull off a stick song. Yeah, I, I do not. <laughs> Especially yeah. in this big open room, right? Like it's yeah. just going to make my voice reflect all over everything and just amplify the awfulness. Yeah. Yeah. Amplify the awfulness would be a great cover band name. Yeah, it's a great name for the uh, for an album. Yeah. Well, when we all start right. our band, we can call it that. That sounds good. Uh, nobody take that. We're we're totally going to do that. Yeah, it's copywritten. All right. All right. Well, thanks for watching, everybody. Yeah, let's get out of here. See you all next time. All righty. Congratulations. You just survived the postmortem report. For more information about the show, the hosts, or the things they talked about, check out our super swanky information page at anchor.fm slash postmortem report. Until next time, always remember, good posts. Never die. Hey, why is it so dark in here? We still on? You'll see. Uh, Should I be concerned? Hit it, Brian.